Welcome back to the No F's Podcast. We've got all the boys on. We've got Jack, Will, Big Joe, and the daddest dad east of the Mississippi, Shay, with us today. We're going to break down some college football, give a preview of next week. I want to start off with Florida because I feel like that's a game that all of us watched. Everybody wanted to see Anthony Richardson play this weekend. He got to play, made some questionable decisions. I mean, freshman quarterback, what what are y'all's takes on that? I mean, not only just a uh, freshman quarterback thing, it's typical big da- big game Dan Mullen, you know? Yeah. Conservative play calls, like really trying to force power run when it's just not there. You know, Georgia's front has not really been run on all year. They've, you know, I mean, let, let up, what, like three touchdowns all year to this yeah, point? Six points a game, dude. Yeah. I mean, it, like. <laughs> it's, it's ridiculous. And the fact that Dan Mullen's like, you know what? We can beat up on a, who, who's that giant guy in the middle? Is it Jordan Davis? Who's like six. Jordan Davis, four? yeah. They, he's yeah. like human bowling ball. And so, anyway, I my thing is. I just don't know why Dan Mullen continues to force a bad uh, game plan. In addition to having a young quarterback who, obviously, super talented guy, he has flashes of stuff. You're like, oh, okay, I see it. This could be like Heisman future. But at the moment, you know, he's a guy you have to help out. You got to move him. You got to get going. They just didn't do that at all. I think the biggest thing for me in that game is that. One, Dan Mullen is the worst coach in a prominent Power 5 program in the country. Like, And that's including Sark. That's including uh, the whoever the coach is at LSU right now. Like, He's awful. He's just not very good at his job. And he's kind of skated by because he's been in the SEC East. And, you know, as long as he's kind of competitive with Georgia, everyone's just okay with him being there. But, like, think about this from a coaching perspective. Anthony Richardson has played – one half of football before the biggest game of his life, right? He played the back half of the LSU game. He could have played in the Vandy game. He could have played in the USF game more. He could have played in the FAU game more. So this dude's probably, what, less, maybe his 100th snap in the NCAA is coming against Georgia in one of the most dominant defenses we've seen in probably two decades. Like, that's a major coaching L. There's no other ways to phrase that. That's just a huge coaching L. And then on top of that, the game plan was awful. They didn't roll him out. They didn't give him any sort of, like, ways to use his legs. The only way that they used him was in more of, like, a QB power type situation, which I understand why you get an extra blocker and the running back in the box against the front. That one makes sense. But what doesn't make sense is – you. If anything, Anthony Richardson is probably the best playmaker outside of uh, Walker out of Michigan State in college football right now. I think we can all say that college football in terms of offensive production is at a really – it's one of the lower points I've seen in a while. So there aren't a lot of playmakers, and he's one of them. And so for him to have Dan Mullen as his head coach is just a nail in the coffin in terms of what are you going to be able to do, how are you going to be able to do it, and – you know, this is a team that was super cool with Emory Jones starting for a while. They lost to Kentucky, and the LSU loss was brutal. Like, you're not the, – the state of the program, if you're Florida, can't be good because you have a team like LSU who won a championship with probably the best team in the history of college football two years ago move off their head coach because they know it's not working. And if you're Florida, you've watched Dan Mullen not work for, what, a decade now? 
and it's supposed to just be, oh, it's okay. Like we still trust him. Like it's just the dumbest thing in the world. So do you put do you put those turnovers? I mean, obviously the turnovers kind of have to go partially on Anthony Richardson, but do you put more weight on the turnovers on Dan Mullen than on Anthony Richardson? Well, the one and, pick hey, was awful. Yeah, I mean, I won. I say it's probably an even split. It's just one to one. You know, uh, you know, Dan Mullen's done this twice where he's strung two quarterbacks along twice at Florida, even. You know, where he's got this young kid who's clearly super talented. Everybody wants to see him, but you've played him in such a sparing role that when you throw him out there against Georgia's, probably got the best defense we've seen in like the past uh, two or three years. Like all of those guys are going to be first round picks. They're going to have like probably six of them. And the fact that you just throw out your freshman quarterback who's got no experience effectively, you know, it's just ridiculous. But the one pick, I'll say terrible. The one pick six was awful. The pick that he had over the middle was kind of like linebackers don't make that play most of the time. Like for that linebacker to even touch the ball was kind of like a Herculean effort. And when you start a freshman quarterback, it kind of comes with the territory. The fumble, I just hated the play call. Um, but realistic, like, and, and I, I think the part that's going through this the other time is that Florida, in a, where they could have grabbed the lead early, they missed a field goal. Then Georgia comes down and kicks a field goal. And then Dan Mullen turns the ball over on the UGA 35-yard line. On, he, they turn it over on downs. And because they went for it on a fourth and 13. Like, that's just poor play calling. Like, I don't care who your kicker is, fourth and 13 at the 35 yard line, you can't go for it. It's just an irrationality. The argument, I guess, the argument on the other side of that is that, you know, you're not necessarily going to beat that team with field goals. But I also agree with you. But, I mean, the Florida kicker against that defense, the Florida kicker also missed three field goals. Oh yeah, I mean, look, he's not good. Like, That's not what I'm saying. The, but the other if thing you're is, like, you can't, you can't with a right? freshman quarterback, right? You have to go into this mode with a freshman quarterback. The number one priority for him early in a game, in order to settle into a groove, is to just see points on the board, see that he's accomplishing something. That's what because, UM's doing. Yeah, exactly. And the problem is here is that the, there was no way for him to show that he was actually accomplishing anything, and so the pick six was he was trying to force something. He tried to force the ball to a receiver that was just obviously covered. He was trying to make too much happen. And, and yes, that's on him. But at the same time, there is a little bit of it where that game should have been probably 10 to, 10 to 3 at that point. 10 to 3 at halftime is very, very manageable. But, you know, then you get when you get into the 24 to nothing range, you're like, oh, well, the game's over already. So, um, uh, it's, I wonder how much of this is partially just on like the pressure to play Richardson because they're like hindsight's 2020, but this was just not the right game for him to have his first start. You know, like, I mean, when he's done this before with Tebow and Chris Leak, he just refused to put Tebow in and people thought they were just going, they're raging, you know? And well, I, right, it, people people were this raging this time, too. absolutely but they, not the right game to put him in. You know, right, like... like when you're playing talk, Vandy, you can start. Yeah, you can, yeah, right. you can let it fly. 
Like, it's on Mullen, it's on Richardson, but, like, credit where it's due, this entire, like, the Georgia defensive front is obviously, like, the best in the country, but this entire defense is just electric. I mean, it's nuts how good they are. Yeah. I mean, talking about a lack of defense, I mean, I feel like we kind of have to talk about, like, the Michigan-Michigan State game. Like, Jack, you and I talked about, like, the the score of that game very, very easily could have been, like, you know... 14 to 10 like it could have been a very low scoring game and we get an absolute freaking gun show from both teams yeah well we didn't have to worry about the the under not hitting in that yeah, <laughs> pretty early on that was a half. that was a weird shootout um yeah but, for I y'all mean, that don't know saturday was an absolute bloodbath for me that was probably the worst betting day i've ever had in my entire life oh no i didn't um, mean it like that i just like this game, no 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 I mean, for the just, audience for the audience dude Oh yeah, no, I know. I'm I'm just saying, like, I don't. Well, I'm not. I didn't mean to like bring it up that way. I just I meant like this was kind of a weird game that I don't, like. I don't think a lot of people expected to be such a shootout. Um, but I mean, Kenneth Walker, man, he he is he is real good. Um, and a lot of and you know, obviously credit to like offensive line and and like play calling and stuff like that. But he also makes a lot of those plays himself and. You know, he squeaks through holes, he finds the gap. Like, he's doing a lot of – he's – I mean, he, he looks really, really good. And in a, in a in a year where there wasn't really a Heisman front runner before this weekend, I think there is a pretty clear one now. Yeah, it's got to be him. I don't think it's a question anymore. As long as oh, he right. – like, But before this weekend, I mean, it, it was completely up in the air. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, I guess it was Matt Corral was the favorite. Which like, yeah. yeah. Right. Like, guys – like by default, I guess, right? He like had he what wasn't. five? He had five touchdowns this weekend. Is it five? No, kind of Walker. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Corral. Yeah, he did. Yeah. Well, the, see, the thing about Walker is that he, when the hole isn't there, he still, um, he still finds a way to get positive yardage, which is just so big, and especially in the right. Big Ten with the style of football they play. Um, I think as long as he just doesn't have a horrible closing game, he's he'll run away with the Heisman. Um, and it's I huge because he's the difference in that game, right? Like, like that's the Michigan State doesn't win that game without him, and that's I mean that's a big, I mean that's yeah. a big bump, I think. But I will say the one thing about the Big Ten in its closing weeks is that C.J. Stroud is from California. Um, which means that his first exposure to like blizzard style northern football is going to be this year, and it's a team that really likes to air it out. Obviously, Trav- Tra- I think his name's Travion Henderson um, is one of the better backs in the Big Ten as well at Ohio State. And Ohio State's offensive line is unbelievably good. But you know, when they play at the shoe in the second of the last week. That's a big game just in case there's any weather. And then also Ohio State's last game against Michigan in the big house if there's any weather. Um, Freshman quarterback from California who's now in the Northeast and there's blizzard and snow and ice could be a storyline to look out for is all I'd say on that front. Ohio State's one of those teams where I think you can – it's almost Alabama the same level – where they can just get away with having better athletes. And that's why whenever you see like uh, coaches move up to the NFL, they struggle and whatnot. Like uh, Saban went up there to Dolphins. No, sorry, George. And uh, he was terrible. Comes back, he's great. You know, 
it's just at this level it's all about having the best athlete and you know i don't see i don't foresee as much trouble as you think with you know freshman quarterback who's from california i think they're going to turn around hand the ball off and play defense you know yeah i think that's look i'm saying that's the most likely scenario but if you know if they get down and they do have to throw the ball like that might be something to look out for it's just one of those things where like my biggest problem with the big 10 is that iowa is just so unathletic they're just so unathletic there's not really like you know i guess you would call iowa the most physical team in the big 10 it's not real physical football anymore like it's just straight up finesse i mean the closest thing that Ohio State's seen to a physical football team is Oregon, and Oregon beat up on them. They just continued yeah. the ball down their throats, and they couldn't get back in the game. Yeah. In the Big Ten, I don't foresee that being a problem. You know, other than, I mean, maybe Wisconsin, if they ever get rolling, you know, other than maybe, uh, who is it? I mean, Michigan State could, but... Yeah, Wisconsin is an enigma this year. I have no idea what to think of that team. <laughs> I mean, they, they I'm just looking down here, and they just beat Iowa and, like, beat the brakes off of them 27-7. Yeah. And so, I don't know, man. Just year to year, they're so up and down. And they started off awful. Graham Mertz had a big throw-the-ball-to-the-other-team problem. <laughs> and I just don't. I don't know. Like, Wisconsin's an enigma. The, the The Big Ten West is just so – like, is Minnesota a good program? Is it not? Like, if I'm – Their I'm, running back was super good, but he's still out, right? Yeah, I think his name was Ibrahim. Um, yeah, and, and, like, program-wise, I, I, sorry, I know you were going to talk about that, but, I like, I think he was a huge reason that um, – gosh, who did – I think they played Ohio State pretty close. I think it was, like, a night game on, like, a Friday at one point, and then – uh, the their running back like went out, and I think it got out of hand. So I don't. Anyway, I just wanted to point that yeah, out. Yeah, that was a week Minnesota. one. Yeah, I, but I like, if, if so, if I'm USC, right? How is PJ Fleck not one of my first calls? Right, like if he can recruit and do well in Minnesota, I've got to believe that he can recruit and do well in my backyard. I mean, there's more five star recruits in the greater LA area than there is anywhere else in the country. I mean, I, I don't know. I, I like PJ Fleck. You know, he's going to row the boat. He's going to bring kids in. He has, you know, never really taken anyone to a contender status. Like he's taken people to being good. Like you know, ten, eleven win teams. You know, he can get you there, but he can't. It's a lot like Mark Rick back in the day. He can get you to ten, eleven wins. He can't get you over the hump. You know, yeah. and they moved him out to get Kirby. So I doubt USC would do that. Yeah, I mean, in my eyes, they, they've got a really sticky situation over there. Because, like, A, if you're not going to keep Helton around, you don't keep him through, what was it, week two? Two weeks, yeah. yeah. Like, you don't do that. You fire him so you can get a new guy and hopefully get some of the class in. It's just they're going to have a really terrible situation with the transfer portal, with the coach search, and it's just... Are we all in agreement that Mel Tucker's probably going to LSU? Yeah, yeah. Especially after this weekend. Yeah, I would say his only competition would be a uh, uh, guy at Baylor. What's his name? Dave Aranda. Yeah, Dave Aranda, and maybe Lane Kiffin. 
The only thing about Kiffin is it's more resources, like better talent pool, really to pool. And he might go, but I, you know, I doubt it a little bit. But Dave Miranda's going to have a serious bid out of it, I think. I think, dude, here's the one thing that I will say about Lane Kiffin. I think there's part of Lane Kiffin that wants to coach Arch Manning real, real bad and kind of have, like, the Adam Gase effects and just kind of follow him around. And so I think Ole Miss becomes a lot more attractive to him simply based off of that. Um, Yeah. I don't know how much – I mean – in my eyes, Arch is going to bounce around to wherever the best situation is at the time. I mean, like, the the rumor is that he's supposed to come to Texas, and I would just hate that if I was him. Like, there's nothing about this offense that I want to be a part of right now. I mean, every everything about what Sark is doing, I know you're on the same page as me about this, Joey, but the Sark, it was just a lateral move. He was, you know, the hot topic at the time. I would understand if you went and you go get Urban Meyer and you say, you say forget morals. Um, but you go and you make a complete lateral move to a guy who was, you know, marginally successful at USC and, you know, was the OC at Alabama and did coach rehab and then went to the Falcons for a little bit. You know, same sort of deal, coach rehab, just being the OC. So anyway, I just think that, you know, as far as situations go with Texas, I would stay away from if I'm Archman. You know, it's just one of those things where I think he's going to end up probably looking at Georgia seriously. And the line is awful. The offensive line at Texas is awful. If I'm Arch Manning, the one thing I want is just four or five or six big flutters in front of me so I can just not be injured in college. That's all I really want. I'm not – and, like – it's like, and then there's all these other schools, like, right? Like, is Penn State appealing? Well, kind of, in a sense, there there is a little bit of appeal there. But like, James Franklin falls exactly into the PJ Fleck boat of like, oh, he's yeah. been fine at small stuff, but he's never actually done anything. Like, well, is Michigan attractive? Michigan might be a little bit attractive, but how far north does he want to go? But Ohio State's out. Franklin's going to be around. Yeah, like, I know. Like, ask him about USC. He's like, yeah, you know, I, I don't know. I think that's kind of a distraction. We're not going to talk about that. Like, you can't just brush it under the rug if, like, you're in the coaching search. Yeah. And I, yeah, it's just, like, nothing about Arch Manning. And the other thing is he plays small ball New Orleans private school league. Like, I understand he's great at these combines. Garrett Gilbert also won Elite 11. That doesn't make him very good at football. Like, there's this whole stigma around some of this stuff where, like, a lot of these quarterbacks are like, oh, they won the Elite 11, and they're good at this, and they're good at that. And I'm like, that doesn't make you a good quarterback. Like, I mean, did Stetson Bennett win any sort of combine ever? Probably not. (laughs) He's won a lot of games in Georgia. (laughs) Uh, We're not going to start on the Stetson Bennett is good train because that's No, he's not good. That is is so bad of a take right there. Dude, he's not good. But you have to understand what I'm saying is, like, (laughs) Stetson Bennett has more wins than a lot of these Elite 11 participants. Oh, I agree. I agree. Elite Eleven's garbage, you know. It's uh, just a way for – who's the bald guy that's always on Fox? Trent Dilfer? It's a way for Trent Dilfer just to get his rocks off all the time. That's a great take. 
Yeah, I mean, like, he's like, oh, I was the Super Bowl winning quarterback of the Ravens. No, you weren't. Your defense won a Super Bowl, and you just happened to receive the snap in between the handoff to Jamal Lewis. Like, that doesn't mean that it was your team that you quarterback, Trent. Tough. Uh, Seems like you're disrespecting Joe Flacco in there somewhere, too. And I don't know. This is the first one, not the second one. You're not going to say he's not in No, I know. Billy. But I like it's just all this stuff, and I what I hate about college football sometimes is that all these combines get roped into everything, and you're like, oh, like this kid's a five star, like this kid's that, and then you turn on the tape, and you're like, where is he? Like, what is he doing? Like, there's nothing about what he's playing like that I actually enjoy. And I mean, the best recruiters and the be- the people who end up with the best college programs really don't end up caring a lot about the stars, the combines. They'll go out to the coaches in their area and say, hey, I need your best guy. Who is it? Yeah. And some coaches who have the resources, like a Saban, like a Sark at Texas, like Kirby Smart at Georgia, they can fly out anywhere in the country and say, hey, where's your best guy? And they'll go talk to him. You know, it's not all combine stuff. And that the combine stuff is awful for college football. Because so you end up letting so many players slip through the cracks. Like Randall Cobb back in the day played in Knoxville, right? He's from yeah. like the Knoxville area, and he goes to Kentucky because they're just like, yeah, like he's a guy, he's three star, whatever. You just Dude, you, you know how many offers Josh Jacobs had? Uh, wasn't it just like one? It was just one, and it was Alabama. <laughs> Like, it's, it's crazy to me how some of these guys slip through the cracks like that when there's so much film on them. I just hate it. I hate Josh I Allen. Hate the cup. Yeah, I, I mean, Josh Allen is huge. Like, how if you're, you know, right, like, Josh Allen walks into your room, and yes, he did a Juco year, but he's what, 6'6", 240 or whatever he he's is? He's a stud. Like, how if you're Kentucky, do you not just look at him and be like, well, it's worth a shot, he's got a cannon, like, we can't be worse than we already are with him there. <laughs> or if you're Vandy, how do you not take – like, he goes to Wyoming? How is that How is that the one school that gave him an offer? I yeah, mean, he, Vanderbilt should be there. offering a lot of people. So. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, looking ahead to this weekend, we've got game days going to Cincinnati for the first time ever. We've got Army Air That's Force cool. – um, we've got Auburn TCU. There's a couple other games. Is there any games that y'all no. are that y'all are like really looking forward to this weekend? Is it Auburn at A and M? Yes, Auburn A and M's playing. Yeah, yeah, that I, that one <laughs> for sure. Um, uh, Baylor TCU should be fun. Yeah. Oh, George, Liberty Ole Miss would be interesting. Liberty Ole Miss is going to be really interesting because uh, I forget the name of the Liberty quarterback, but. He is uh, uh, he was getting Heisman buzz early in the year. Yeah, I mean he's he's legit. Uh, I mean of course you got Matt Corral there. That'll be fun to watch. Well, and Hugh Freeze is returning. Yeah, exactly. You got to see all the boosters' wives again, dude. It, it's his favorite <laughs> thing in the world. Yeah. <laughs> um, Shay, you yeah. excited for uh, for UT uh, as in Tennessee versus UTK? Uh, UTK. <laughs> um, no, I'm not. Uh, honestly, I I love Hypel right now. Like he's he's gotten me to bite the bullet. You know, looking at the guy, he looks like Chumley from Pawn Stars. But you know, he was a Heisman runner up and won a national championship in Oklahoma. And so I'm just sitting here like, 
I like the offense. It's very much like uh, the Art Riles stuff back in the day at Baylor. It's just a lot of like running, short screen games, taking shots, and it's putting up points. So I like it enough, but I mean, Kentucky's defense has just got so many athletes, and I think that their offense is just, you know, passable. And Mark Stoops, well, I don't think he's a great coach. I think he's good enough to not mess this up. I feel like Kentucky's one of those teams that kind of like slipped through the cracks at the beginning of the year, and then when they beat Florida, everyone was kind of like, whoa, like maybe these guys are actually good. Yeah, and you know, they just played a Mississippi State team that is going to be weird to watch. Like Mike Leach, I love. Like he's just a weird human, and he's got some great air raid stuff, and it's just so unpredictable to deal with. That's probably their worst, you know, their worst of the two losses. But I think Kentucky is they're they're a legit probably 10 to 20 team in the college football yeah. just in general. Yeah. Do y'all think do y'all think LSU even holds a candle to Alabama this weekend? No. Probably not they at score home. A lot. They, you don't they think s- they're going to fight for Coach O? <laughs> <laughs> No, I like look. There's going to be some weird quarterback. Joe Burrow is just going to appear at halftime. LSU isn't good, but they do score a lot of points. Like, and and that appears to have been a sticking point for a little bit of Alabama's issues this year. I, I that's all I want to say. There's in, in no way do I think they lose. But I mean, I think it's in LSU. They're what? Uh, sorry, it's in Tuscaloosa as well. Which it is. is yeah. Um. I mean, in my eyes, LSU's quarterback, uh, his name's Max something. He's he's kind of got a baby arm, and he's not super athletic. And so I think, you know, that's the, the formula for really messing with Alabama is having a big arm, being athletic, being like a mackerel, like Johnny Manziel kind of guy where you can get out of the pocket and make something happen, you know, after the fact, after the initial coverage is broken down. Um I just I really don't see that happening with LSU and Alabama this this weekend. There is also I will say this about Alabama just while we're on it and looking forward. Yes, I still like them to be very very good, but it is worth noting that the week before Auburn they do play Arkansas, and Arkansas has been a big problem for them the last couple of years. And like Shay was mentioning, you know, big mobile quarterback with a bananas big arm and a lot of speed. There's, there's, you know, they always get caught looking towards Auburn. And so uh, th- that could easily be a trap game for them. And if they lose that game, they're out. Like, if they have two losses, they won't be going to the playoff. Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> two losses is just so bad this year. Like, it, you're going to end up with probably Oklahoma being undefeated, probably Cincinnati being undefeated. And it's going to be hard to argue to keep those two out, especially with the fact that, the Big 12 has not gotten the most love from the college football playoff. Like, yes, Oklahoma's been in it a lot, but they haven't gotten a ton of love. And Cincinnati has been hyped for about two and a half years now, since Luke Fickle got there, really. And so they haven't gotten a ton of love. But I think well, that's another really coach that where is where is he on people's coaching radars? So I had heard that he was getting asked about the USC job, and he was like, yeah, that's sort of just like a me and my family thing, and I'll talk with the team about if it ever becomes something. And he just left it at that and wasn't asked about it yet. So I don't know. Maybe he's getting some serious interest, maybe not. But I think 
potentially he could get a huge job in the offseason, whether it's LSU, whether it's USC, whether Tech, whether Texas fires Sark into year one and, you know, just gives them the reins. God, I hope so. God, I hope so. Dude, it might be uh, – sorry, this is a little backtracking a little bit, but if – I know we're talking about Alabama being a two-loss team, and I agree that, like, they would not put a two-loss team in the playoff. And, I, I mean, after watching – I because – we had said this, I think, on a previous pod about how Georgia's defense really hadn't been tested yet. And, I mean, there's an argument to, to, to be said that this is this past weekend was their biggest test against Florida. And if Georgia's defense can play that way against Alabama and beat them in the SEC championship, then it might be pretty cut and dry, like, as to who goes. Because then you send Georgia, you send the, the Big Ten champ, you send Cincinnati, and you send Oklahoma. The only thing that will give them trouble is with the Big Ten champ if Oregon wins out. And say it's Ohio State, like it probably will be. Um, that, yeah, that would then be. Then you have a weird tie break there, and you you kind of in a sticky situation because it's week two or whatever when it happened, and both teams are very different at that point in the season. I think I think the only things that I know for sure right now, and this is assuming they take care of business all the way up until. Well, for Georgia, it would be all the way up into the SEC championship game. and Cincinnati, it would be through their American game. But um, if Cincinnati wins out, they're pretty much locked in at the three seed, in my opinion. Like, they won't – they'll just be the three seed. And if Georgia wins out – and even if they get to the SEC championship game, as long as they don't get the break speed off them, you know, as long as it's not 52-10, to 10, they're pretty much locked in at the one. No one's going to – if they lose a game 9-6 to – no one's going to be like, oh, maybe they're not the best. Like, no, they're, they're pretty much they're I I will say the team that I do like a lot that I feel like is getting really disrespected is Auburn. Like, I understand that Auburn is Auburn and Bo Nix is Bo Nix, but they do put up 35 points a game, and Tank Bigsby is – they have a – like, the, their running back cohort that they do have – puts up 200 yards a game in the SEC. Like, they're not a team to, like, just take super lightly this year. I know they did lose. The Georgia loss is tough, um, and they lost early to uh, Penn State. But remember, that Penn State game ended on just one of the most horrific play calls I've seen in a long time. Yeah. So The thing I, with Alton is Tank Bisbee is maybe the greatest fullback name of all time. <laughs> <And> so... <laughs> You know, looking forward to when they play Alabama, they potentially can cause some problems. They they can really cause some problems for them, especially if you get Bo Nix like, uh, like if you get a Bo Nix game at home. You know, yeah. I don't know where the game is this year, but it's in it's in Auburn. Okay, so if you get a typical Bo Nix at home game where he's like a Heisman candidate, versus Bo Nix on the road where he looks like Carson Wentz trying to throw out a sack. You know. <laughs> <laughs> Stop. You know, but they can That's really cause some issues for him. And I don't know about this new coach. He, uh, you know, he seems like he's doing fine. I think A&M probably beats him this weekend, truth be told. Dude, uh, thank you, dude. I'm way more on the Auburn train. Dude, I think I that's think... just going to be such a great game. It's at A&M, which is a huge thing for me. I like this backup quarterback that's been playing for a I forget his Zach name. Zach Calzada? Yeah. I yeah. Love, Here's the thing that I, pisses I, me off about Texas. Texas has, at their, at their starting quarterback position, 
a guy worse than a and starter and their backup, a guy worse than Baylor's starter, a guy worse than SMU's starter. Like, in the state of Texas, he's probably, like, the seventh best starter. And he play, he's at the flagship program. Like, cut me on large slice of a break on that one. My goodness. <laughs> Zach Calzada, who backs up at A&M, is better than the Texas starter, and it's not close. Like, it's not even remotely close. <laughs> oh, my it's a tough time for both of our UT guys out here. Yeah. Hey, I, do, right. I will say this about both of our teams, though. I like both of our running backs. I love both of our Ooh, running backs, I, actually. I love, I love number six. What's he for y'all? Yeah, he's a beast. He's awesome. Yeah. Um, and Bijan, obviously, is a beast. I will say this about one thing, though, that I do want to make a mention is that last year towards the end of it, towards the end of his tenure, Herman got ripped a couple times because he wasn't playing Bijan every down, right? Remember, this is a true freshman who's never had a camp, who's not used to playing college football. This year, he's, what, seven games in now, eight games in? He's hurt. Like, if you compare his game tape from game two to now, he's – limping and he's severely less explosive he's just gotta look at the workload like there i mean there are a few games like during the oklahoma game he only got what like 15 touches but up to that point he had been getting like 25 28 touches a game and like yeah where on your body as a running back taking big hits like not as much at the college level but any level and even even broke derrick henry though yeah exactly yeah well and like like to me, the number one thing is uh, a great comp for the Texas team is Auburn. Like, how do they manage? Oh, well, Tank Bigsby has 125 attempts, but Jarquez Hunter has 69. Nice. But, like, it's not one of those things where there's some massive disparity between both of those teams. If I went over and looked at Texas's, which is just going to be not a fun time for me right here, but if I go over and look at uh, UT's, I, I, how many carries do you think Bijan has? Over 300 easily, right? Yeah. He's got... Munch them. Bijan's got 163. Our next guy has 39. How many receptions does he have, though? Probably 40. Yep. Yeah. 37. So he's, he's got literally 200 carries on his body, while the next closest guy has, you know, like 30-something. Like that's yeah, Xavier Worthy is 33. That's It's not going to win you a lot of football games. It's not going to keep guys' knees as healthy. Mm. All right. It's fine. I, I'll cry about it later. I think I have a trap game here. Are you ready? Give it to me. Go. Michigan and Indiana. You've got the return of Michael Penix Jr., right? He comes out of nowhere, and I think Michigan stumbles again. Is I he think they're losing to Michigan State. I believe so. If I, if I read the uh, the scouting report correctly, I believe he is healthy, but I could be mistaken. Either way, I think this is a really good trap game for them, just simply because Michigan. I think once they start to fall apart, they really fall apart. You know, just under Harbaugh, that's kind of been their thing. They've uh, just can't really finish the season that well. And, you know, they're going to be guaranteed another loss at the end of the year anyway. So, at the big house, though. 
That's a big house. It's guaranteed another loss. Which which would be worse? <laughs> it's guaranteed another loss. I think Harbaugh's probably uh, his time is short. His uh, his Michigan life is probably maybe another year, even if they beat Ohio State. Dude, he's a, he's just so tough. But like, I was I was beating on the drum for Michigan. I've been saying Michigan's a good team for like, you know, since they were unranked. Um, but the one thing that I will say about Harbaugh is that his inability to recruit a quarterback is going to be his downfall. Especially given the fact that he's built himself as a quarterback guru. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, just... he recruited Andrew Luck one time, and suddenly we're supposed to be like, oh, he's a guru. Yeah. Uh, hold on, there's one more game I wanted to talk about here. Uh... What was I looking at? NC State, Florida State should be fun. There's not, I mean, there are no real There's no implications at all, but it should be. No, right. It should be, a, it should be like a weird kind of game. Yeah, I mean, oh, it's a conference safe. game. Like, if FSU doesn't have an absolute collapse like they did last week, like, they were so, they were so close. Like, I, I guess I wouldn't call it a collapse, but like, going backwards when you're that far down the field is... Not Can we talk smart. for one second? I think a team that nobody is talking about as being good, and not good in the sense of Ohio State, Alabama, Georgia good, but good in the sense of if you match up with any of the teams from 10 to 20, they, they've probably favored, is UTSA. Like, I know yes. UTSA plays nobody, and I know that that doesn't make them a sexy pick, but all this team does is win and stop opposing teams from running the football. Like, <laughs> it's pretty impressive. I, I like them. They're they're fun to watch. I, I just, I love, I love teams like that. Like, I just love defensive, run the football teams, and they just do it better than everyone else, and so it's fine. I do like Louisville Clemson. That should be fun. How big of frauds do we think Wake are? Like seven out of ten, Carlo. Yeah, I, I don't know. I feel like this is probably another game they can just really, really get out of hand. Especially if I mean Sam Howell is not good. You know, he's building up not to be good. just a complete superstar. They've got some solid running backs. Um, they've got some solid receivers at UNC. Like I think you know, there's there's a chance that they can fumble this game. Say they've got I, our old buddy Ty Chandler. Yeah, I know. I'm just looking. He's, a, he's only got, you know, 671 yards on the year. But, uh, yeah, he is – yeah, missed the guy. <laughs> um, I have no idea why North Carolina's favored. That's what I was going to say. Like, I, I don't – it's home? at UNC, I think. But, yeah, it's I mean, at still. UNC. It's like – I mean, I just think Wake's kind of fraud. So, I, I get it a little bit, but – Mike Brown. They have been rolling against against the ACC teams, though. Yeah. I'm, I'll no, say like, this about Wake. They score a lot. Yeah, what did they put up? 70 against Army? And, like, granted, it's Army. But that was, like, a 126-point game. I mean, like, part of the problem with Wake is that their defense is not good. Yeah. But they score enough points to, like, kind of offset that. But then UNC's defense is also awful. So... So the over looks like it's in good shape. The over's at 76 and a half. 
That's a lot of that points. That is a lot Probably of points in college that. football. <laughs> That's a, I mean, but like Wade could easily score 50, 60 points. Um, I, I, the, the issue I have with Wake is that I think a lot of their hype is built off of the UVA game. Because if I remember correctly, that was a game that aired on Friday night. Um, and so I think they beat them pretty soundly, too. Like, UVA was 37-17, to 17, and UVA is a team that does like to score, and Wake came out, and they just had better athletes, and the game was over. Um, they have since won all of their games, except for the Duke game, which was a pile driving by less than 14 points, and two of those games got decided by a field goal with Louisville and Syracuse. I am. I don't think Wake is an actual good team, but I do have to give them props in the sense of, unlike Cincinnati, when they're supposed to absolutely deep dick a team like Duke, they do it. Like that's. I do have to give them props on that part. Here's hypothetical: they skate all the way through the ACC, no losses, right? Win the championship game. What are you doing? Oh, they've got a one-way up... paid ticket to the Fiesta Bowl, baby. <laughs> That's exactly what I was thinking. If they're not Clemson, probably Fiesta Bowl. <laughs> <laughs> like, I just, they're not good. Like, and I yeah. think that's kind of the thing. It's like, they're not a top four team. Like, I will give Cincinnati this. Sometimes their offense makes me cry in just how bad sometimes it gets run. And it's not a coaching error. It's a completely, like a check at the line of scrimmage error. But their defense is very, very tough. Like, Cincinnati has a tough defense that runs the football and makes big plays. Wake has none of that. They are pure offense. They are just sniffing octane as they run down the field. So, like, if Georgia gets a hold of them, that game's going to be 70 to nothing. (laughs) But uh, I got to give it to Wake. Like, in in a year where the ACC is in shambles, like, they've just emerged as being like, hey, recruits, if you're a three-star that doesn't like where you're offered, why not come to Wake? Like, that's that's all this year is going to be for them. Like, it's just going to be like, hey, we're getting the best three stars in the country now. Uh, I, I will say the one, one other game that I think is worth a watch um, for, and, and I think we should talk about this just for a little bit here. Um, the draft this year is going to be really bad. I, I, I think there's, like, not in the sense of you're not going to get good players. I think what's going to happen in this draft is one of those drafts where it's, you know, you draft three offensive linemen, a very solid outside linebacker, and, you know, a slot receiver who plays for five years and makes one, uh, you know, uh, Pro Bowl. Um, there's not going to be a lot of flashy picks. There's not going to be a lot of picks where it's like instant offense, but I think it's going to be one of those drafts where like, you know, if you are drafting anywhere in the first round, any of Ohio State's linemen are all on the board for you. Like, it's just one of those drafts where it's like a big boy, build your roster from the ground up type drafts. The one quarterback that I think is good is Mordecai at SMU. Um, he was... Um, he was at Oklahoma. He transferred to SMU. You got to like Sonny Dykes in the sense that, yes, it's the air raid. It's a lot of cheap yards. But what you do get when you run an air parade in college, especially the one that Sonny runs, is a quarterback who makes decisions and throws an accurate ball. Um, Shane Buchel came out of this. 
Garrett Gilbert, who's on the Cowboys roster. So there's a lot of quarterbacks that come out of the Sonny Dyke system that make impacts at the next level, albeit mostly in like a kind of backup role. But Mordecai is the best quarterback available. Now, I wouldn't draft a quarterback before round three. That's not how anything's going to happen. But if there was a guy out there, I'm going to stake my claim now and say Mordecai is going to be the best QB of the bunch from this draft class. Do you think the hype train attaches itself to anybody who got hyped before the season or no? What about uh, Kenny Pickett? Yeah, like Kenny, Kenny Pickett will probably get a, a look probably third, fourth round, if I remember. Yeah. And then I was thinking more like Sam Howell, Matt Corral, those kind of guys. Do you think they'll get hyped enough to be in the first round? Which I don't think they're first-round quarterbacks, just from what I've seen. Um, but I only mentioned Pickett, too, because of uh, Kuiper, but, uh, you know. But I agree with you, like, Corral is the name that I I heard a bunch, like, the last couple weeks about for potentially going in the first round and, like, teams reaching for quarterbacks way too early kind of thing. I think the the one guy that I might reach on is Corral. But I'd have to be on a very specific team. Like, if I'm the Steelers, it makes a lot of sense to try and – like, you see what I'm trying to say? Like, the Steelers to me are a team that – because they're late first – They've got a really well-built roster anyway. Um, they can always get, you know, a good offensive lineman starting in the second round and build down because that's really the only the only guys that they're going to be going for is kind of offensive guys in the pits. Um, but other than that, I mean, like, you look at a team that would normally be going for a quarterback, and there's just not a lot of them that I think can make – they, most of these teams have so much else wrong with them that they're not going to be able to justify going for a quarterback in the first round, especially a guy as unproven as, like, Kenny Pickett. Like, I understand that he's good. I understand that, yes, he's playing well at Pitt. But, like, come on, man. Like, in terms of, in terms of like, last year when you had – I think Trey Lance's college resume is way stronger than Kenny Pickett's. I mean, my and, thing with Kenny Pickett is he's – literally played college football for it feels like nine years but i think it's he's sixth he's, he's one of those sixth year seniors yeah. or whatever um and so no but uh, I, he just felt to me like this year's mac jones or something as, as like as like like i definitely think he has be been in the system for a while so like sorry guys plug and play guy i think he's right right if That's you have a middling right. team and you just need a quarterback who's not like the you know the football team who's just not going to make mistakes not going to be an idiot like, I think yeah. it's fine. You know, same thing for We're going to draft him at, like, number five, but sure. Yeah, just going to draft him number five overall. I mean, I think that's a good pick. <laughs> yeah. I mean, y'all did pay Heineke, and he's sick, too. So Yeah, he's hey, awesome. Listen. No, no one picked him. <laughs> uh, I think the, the one thing that I will say is that I think Kenneth Walker is the best college running back right now. I think he might be the worst pro out of the bunch. Um, Why is that? Just out of curiosity. Well, one, pass blocking. It, it, like, to be a quality running back in the NFL, you've got to pass block well. Um, True. Not that I'm saying that he doesn't do it well right now, but he he doesn't have to do it because they don't really throw the ball that much. Um, Michigan State does have a very good offensive line. Um and part of the other thing for me is right now he runs a lot of his stuff on gap plays. Um, 
gap is not nearly as prevalent in the NFL as it is in college because your alignment get fatter and less mobile and your defensive linemen get better. So it becomes a lot more reliant on your running back finding the hole rather than your offensive line making the hole. Um, I, that historically goes poorly for a lot of gap running backs that then have to transition to zone in the NFL. Um, think of guys like uh, – I'm trying to think of, of – super prevalent ones. Uh, most of the Auburn running backs are like that. They run a lot of gap down there at Auburn. That's why you hear a lot about all these guys. Well, the Gus Malzahn backs. You hear a lot about these guys are like, oh, he's a great running back, dude. He's one of the best running backs in all of the SEC. And then he goes to the NFL and nobody ever hears from him again. Um, yeah. I mean, they're just, uh, for whatever reason, zone is just the thing they do in the NFL. They're like, you know, this is the best, it's the easiest thing for people to remember. I can have one run play for my entire playbook and 95 pass plays, yeah. you know? And so <clears throat> a lot of power backs are going to struggle through that. I think your best prospect at running back, at least in my eyes, is probably like a James Cook, a guy, low carry, low usage rate, like just pure athlete. I mean, he's Alvin Cook's little brother. He's going to catch yeah. out in the backfield. You know, he's just going to – he'll see it and be a natural athlete and do it. I think that's why Trent Richardson uh, struggled so much on Alabama – it's like back then they were running gap all the time, and even with Derrick Henry, they were running stuff like Duo and uh, even Najee and uh, like Bo Scarborough came through that. Those guys were beasts. And well, and we forget that we forget that Derrick Henry was not good for his first couple of years in the NFL. Like he really yeah. struggled. I mean, same thing with Mark Ingram. Demarco Murray, and he really needed to sit behind Demarco Murray for a while. Yeah. You know, and same thing with Mark Ingram. You know, they struggled for a while getting him involved. In the I will say part of that, though, with some of those Alabama backs is normally they go from running the ball at Alabama to a worse offensive line in the NFL. Like Najee Harris is one of the best backs in the NFL that nobody really likes to talk about because his offensive line is so bad. But that guy is averaging he's averaging like three yards a carry behind an offensive line last year where what James Conner, who's still a good back, averaged what, one point five. I mean, like he's literally double better than James Conner. But that offensive line is so bad right now that they just can't get anything moving forward. Um, they need to take their defensive line and put them in offense because I think that might be the best-case scenario for them. But it is one of those things to notice that a lot of times scheme doesn't translate. Like Nick Foles, right? He's a pro-style quarterback that went to Arizona, and because he had all of that schooling in college, has just managed to stick around the league for so many years and then you know, leads the Eagles to a Super Bowl and uh, is still a backup just because he's so familiar with the pro system. It's not, not as – but what, the thing yeah. with Foles is, like, he's sort of the, the first quarterback to really be thrown into an RPO scheme where you're, like, really making a lot of the decisions. And he's, he's one of the first guys he did it in college, and then yeah. yeah, brings him into Philadelphia. And even Doug Peterson, whenever Wentz goes down, they shifted their offense completely to Nick Foles. And they're like, okay, we've just got this guy. He can do this really, really well. Let's do this. And you know, because yeah. of that, he can learn the schemes. Like, he's just kept around for forever. You know? well, and to, to kind of juxtapose that, one of the big things I see about – as the RPO becomes more and more prevalent in the NFL, these quarterbacks don't make fast enough decisions – and then, like, Jalen Hurts is the prime example. They get all, so many illegal, you know, illegal man downfield penalties because Jalen Hurts doesn't throw the ball. And, like, that's, that's what drives me nuts. 
every Saturday and Sunday when I have to hear these guys say, oh, it's RPO. I'm like, no, that's just play action because the offensive line is not actually blocking for the give. Um, a lot of the times when you do have a lot of RPOs, you do get a lot of illegal man downfield penalties. And it's because your quarterback, you know, takes a pump fake is a second too long. And if you go more than one yard downfield, you're, you're illegally downfield. So, um, I mean, that's why my whole thing with quarterbacks is, you know, I'd always rather have a good decision maker than a guy with a fantastic arm or a guy who's super athletic. I just want somebody who's going to make the right decision all the time. That's why Joe Burrow is so good because he's not going to make mistakes decision-wise. And that's why you're seeing Mahomes struggle a little bit this year because great arm. Like maybe, maybe one of the most talented guys other than like Aaron Rodgers to ever throw a football, you know? And he's just not a great decision maker a lot of the time. Dude, the thing that gets me about Mahomes is that some of those guys, they just think that because they throw the football all the time, well, he does. He throws a great ball. But they think they can put it into these impossible gaps. Like, I get it, Patrick. They're playing a cover three shell against you. Just take the underneath route. Tyreek Hill is going to receive the underneath route. He can gain another 20 yards. Like, you don't have to throw the ball 65 in the air. You know what I actually think he's been getting, Joe? I think he's been getting, like, the old Tampa 2 cover 5 stuff where it's literally just, hey, man, check it down. Like, be smart. He has, they, he had that option last night a ton because I yeah. had yeah. – well, And Blake Martinez is one of the few linebackers that can run it. There's not a lot of true linebackers that can run it. Tampa is probably one – I know John Gruden invented it in Tampa, but, like – Tampa's probably one of the only teams that can run it because they're like in order to run Tampa two, your linebacker has to be able to play safety a little bit, and there's not a lot of teams that can do it. Uh, Arizona probably could. Uh, yeah. Well, but the, both of their linebackers are, played safety, in, like Isaiah Simmons yeah, and exactly. Zayvon Collins were kind of safeties. But I like there's just it, it, that Chiefs team is super is the embodiment of sometimes scheme doesn't translate well. And Mahomes has always been the gunslinger. Like, that's the scheme, is let Mahomes throw the football. And you can't do it sometimes. And he, like, he, you just can't do it where, where he's at right now. The other thing is you, you lose probably your best underrated receiver with Sammy Watkins. Like, people aren't talking about him being gone. They lose a bigger receiver deep threat downfield. You know, mm-hmm. he's going to catch everything. And all you're left with is Tyreek, who you can say, fuck it, Tyreek down there somewhere, or you dump it to Kelsey. And he's not even really running anything, like, past intermediate routes at this point. You know, they've got Michael Harmon. They've got, uh, what's his name, Byron Pringle. They've got Byron Pringle. The, uh, Marcus Robinson. But none of those guys are really, really Hey, man, Josh Gordon. Intermediate. Yeah, they're really good intermediate <laughs> And they've lost the, their running game over the years. Like since yeah. Kareem Hunt, they've lost it more and more. The the thing that does piss me off about them is they completely reshuffled that offensive line, which I do think needed to happen. Um, but their left tackle, who they always had, um, Fisher. Yeah. Yes, and he now where is he playing now? He's Colts. Uh, he's the Colts. Yeah. That never made sense to me. Orlando Brown's a right tackle. I yeah, know. but he thinks he's a left tackle. That's the whole well, reason he got dad pushed out of Baltimore. Yeah. It's because Ronnie Stanley was like, nah, like, I'm left yeah. tackle. Because Ronnie Stanley is probably the best left tackle in the game. 
But yeah, in terms of like every down reliability, yeah, there's things that other lefts do better than Ronnie, but I think Ronnie is like second or third on every list in every category. Um, but the thing that really irked me was that like if you have a generational talent like Patrick Mahomes, you put a right tackle at left to protect him. Like that makes no sense. That offseason makes no sense. But you know, the, the good thing for the Chiefs is this is the draft to correct it, right? There's so many offensive line prospects. There's so many good pass blocking guys. Like Clyde Edwards Hilaire is a fine running back, but the fact that you can go out and get a guy like Tank Bigsby, which that offense different desperately needs, you know, in like the fourth round is going to be great for that team. Hilaire is actually. He's just a reincarnation of Maurice Jones-Drew. Like, yeah, that's fair. A stumpy running back who will catch the ball some. He's not going to block great. He's not even going to run that well, but he'll pop one every now and again, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I think that's fair. It, great for fantasy teams, but not really great for actual teams. Uh, I, I, well, before we uh, do anything else, what, uh, what, who do you all think the biggest bust in the upcoming draft is? Ooh. I'm gonna give a really hot one, Chris Olave. I think Chris Olave is going to just be way he, overdrafted. It feels like he slid a bit. Like he had so much hype surrounding him when he was like a sophomore or whatever or something because of how good Ohio State was, and now this year he's not even the best receiver on his own team. But right, like it's it's like he's already kind of sliding. I don't, I don't know. I don't know dude. For for I I was always a big Garrett Wilson guy. Now, granted, Garrett Wilson grew up 15 minutes down the road from where I am, but Garrett Wilson, what to me was always just the best, the best wideout on that. I love oh, the jump ball. No. That being said, I, I, it could yeah. be Devin Funches. So <laughs> mm, tough. No, I, I just with a lot of it, like it felt like everybody was talking about him as one of the better college football wide receivers, like two years ago you know what i mean and, which is bizarre based on how everybody's talking about the receivers coming out of this year now you know all right i actually think i've got the kobe dean here i think he's just kind of not going to translate because he's a he's a weird in between like want to be a von miller edge rusher and sort of like a middle linebacker hybrid like he, he just is not a great fit for what i think the nfl wants he reminds me a lot of Ken Law in the sense that, like, you get him, but you don't really know what to do with him. I think my answer to this question is whichever defensive back the football team ends up taking because they'll just ruin it for him. <laughs> <laughs> We've dude, seen it the, time and again. I, I think, the, again. dude, I think the biggest steal of the draft is going to be that Notre Dame safety. I, I'm yeah. not really sure of his name, but he, you know, he's Kyle like six Hamilton, foot four. Uh, he covers the whole field. Really? Um, and there's just so much to like about how when he's on the field, Notre Dame is significantly better. On a team that's really not as good in the trenches as they historically are, um, he picks a lot of things off and he fixes a lot of holes. He can play downhill. He can play center field. Um, and, you know, he's not going to be a super sexy pick, so he's probably going to be picked at, like, you know, 20th or somewhere in that range. And I think he could easily have been, you know, like a top four or five talent. I've written I've written about Kyle Hamilton, the the Notre Dame safety, like or not written about him, but like I've mentioned him and Derek Stingley Jr. in like my here's who the football team 
should tank and then take uh, uh, just because like you know defensive uh, like our secondary is I mean I don't know we made Daniel Jones look like John Mar- or Dan Marino so uh, tough uh, but uh, yeah I mean you think they'll go 20th I, I don't know I like I, I just I haven't read a ton about like where people think like these prospects are going to go other than Thibodeau at one but I don't even like him that much. I know that's a hot take. You really not? Dude, he's just... Oh, I love him. Dude, I like, look, I understand. I understand the raw athletic ability that I'm getting. I also understood the raw athletic ability that I got with Jadavion Clowney. I think Thibodeau's a little bit better in the run than Clowney was uh, in South Carolina. You know, Clowney was, like, a big flash in the pan, like... I think, honestly, the whole reason he gets bumped up as high as he does in the draft is that hit he puts on. I don't think he hit Denard Robinson, but he hit that Michigan running back and almost killed him. Yeah, yeah. dude, that is the opening to every big hit highlight tape on YouTube ever. Exactly. But I think, that, you I think that is yeah. really the only reason he goes that high. Like, he went number one, correct? I'm not, I'm not mistaken with this. Yeah, he um, did to the Texans. I think he did. But I, I still think he was probably a top ten projected pick, and ultimately you look at his career a little differently. Like he's been what, like a three time Pro Bowler or something. Like hasn't been productive in about four years. But yeah, you know, I think with Thibodeau you get a pretty good run stopper. Like obviously freak athlete, and like his pass rush to me is not as polished as the rest of the game. You know, that's fair. I, I, I think. I, I would agree with that. The pass he is better in the run. Um, that that I'm not going to question. Um, the part that I just don't like that much is that when he gets schemed for, I mean, you got to think, right? He's going to be a lion more than likely. I just when he gets schemed for in that division, like, do I like him or Bakhtiari one on one? I'd probably side with Bakhtiari. Now, I do think he eviscerates everyone on the Bears, but, uh, you know, there, there that's is also the Bears. For me, it's like I, I want to see more one on one dominance from him. And I know he's been hurt this year, so I can't really hold that against him too bad. Um, but I, I just want, I think in the back half of the season, to really cement himself as the one, which I'm very open to saying he's the one. Um, I just want to see him just absolutely piled. Like, I need him to have one of those, like, four or five sack games, even if it gets, like, Oregon State, where he just is picking up guys and ripping through them, like, a, like just, you know, pulling a China shot, where he's just the biggest game changer on the field. Then, of course, I'll, I'll agree with him. But I just want a little bit more out of him in, in that sense. I will say this. The, the one... The one skill that I do think has significant upside in the sense of where they're probably going to be drafted is that Oregon running back um, staying on the same team. He's great. Like I, I, Obviously, in that offense, you have to be able to do everything. And uh, him and then there's a linebacker at Florida State. I think he wears number seven. Um, just ridiculously athletic. Um, not like in the sense of he's not going to be like Parsons. Like that's not what I'm drafting him for, but I think he could very easily be like, you know, uh, a Bud Dupree style or a Patrick Queen style of linebacker where he's just athletic in the middle and fills a lot of holes. 
That that Al, I will say this. I think the best prospect out of everyone in terms of immediate out, that Alabama left tackle might be the best offensive lineman I've ever seen at the college level. And I don't know his name, but my God, he is dominating. The other guy that's been really good is the Iowa center. Um, I yeah. don't know his name either. I did, but um, but you're you're right. I or like I've been reading a little bit about it, and it does sound like and and it does. It, I mean, it sounds like a lot of a lot of the best prospects this year are going to be offensive linemen, and like that's fine. And like I, it's going to be tough when teams reach for three quarterbacks in the first round instead of drafting like over strongs later like 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 last year when you know people although i guess last year the big the big decision was Panay Sewell or jamar chase for the Bengals, and i can't believe we're gonna look back on that in 20 years and look at that as a choice but <laughs> that's gonna be I, a fun one <laughs> i i do think one of the things is that as the rules in the nfl change the way we view it, prospects is going to have to change. And, you know, if you're the Bengals and you have the ability to go draft a wide up, a wide receiver who could easily be a 10 to 15 time pro bowler, like you're going to have to do that now. Um, and that's one of those things where as, as it changes a little bit, I, I'll say this in my, in my ridiculously hot take. I don't like – I never liked Zach Wilson. I thought Zach Wilson was the bust of the draft, and it looks like he's probably going to be that. That being said, where you're drafted really matters. I mean, I, me and Shay were talking about Zach Wilson sucking when he was a junior, and he got hosed by Washington. It was awful. It was an ugly game. But where you're drafted matters. He's just so, a cold beast, you know? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, you know, Mel Kuyper's wonder boy, and he's just terrible in the NFL. But um, the way you're drafted matters, and the whole reason I say that is Mac Jones is not a better quarterback than Zach Wilson. Like, I don't like Zach Wilson. And Mac Jones is old, and his arm isn't very good, and he entered the league as a solid B, and he's going to leave as a solid B. Like, Mac Jones in a on a good team is a backup. But where you're drafted matters – He's got a great offensive line. He's got one of the best OCs in the world as his as his guy who's never going to ask him to do too much. So there we go. He's now got a 10-year career carved out in New England. Zach Wilson's going to be moved off of in two years because he's bad. Daniel Jones is going to be moved off of in three years because his offensive line would have been better as five trash cans. I, like, there's just so much where, like, where it matters where you get drafted. And so, like, is Jamar Chase a top five pick normally? Probably not. What he is, is he is a top five pick when the fifth pick is his longtime best friend, quarterback buddy from LSU, Joe Burrow, who's going to get him the ball eight times a game. Like, that matters. My thing about that pick is there's not a wrong decision, you know? Like, yeah, I, I'm, I've been so high on Jamar Chase since that season at LSU. And, you know, Justin Jefferson, clear, he comes into the NFL, clearly makes an immediate impact and looks like the best receiver on his team. And he was not even close to that in college. Like, Jamar Chase yeah. was so much better than him. It was a ridiculous gap. And so that's why I didn't harp on them too much about that pick. I get it. You can always get Lyman, you know. But to get a Jamar Chase guy, who's he might even break Randy Moss's. Uh, or I believe it's Jeff, Justin Jefferson's record now, correct? Yeah, uh, I think it's Jefferson's Jefferson record now. Yards and whatnot. Jamar legitimately has that potential. And and could be so 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 good. So I don't I don't hate on them not grabbing Sewell 
or even, you know, in hindsight, looking at Slater now. Sewell and Slater have been super impressive to me both, but, you know, Jamar Chase, he's different. And he's it's not different. very often you get those guys. I, I, I will say the one thing that is really going to change up how I view the draft is how the Eagles manage – I think the Eagles are on pace to have three of the top ten picks, so they're probably going to trade off a one, um, it, like they'll, and they'll try and make something happen off of that. How the Dolphins handle the Deshaun situation, how the Deshaun situation folds out is going to be really interesting on draft picks. Um, but – yeah, I, I just think, like, Sam Howell's a third-round quarterback at best. Big arm, a lot of work to be done. There's no quarterback right now where I'm like, oh, wow, he's really polished. Like, he's going to do well in the NFL. Uh, not even in, like, Division Two or, like, any anywhere. There's just nothing – there's nothing good. I mean, you remember when they used to go down and find guys like Flacco and – yeah. That just doesn't exist. I think the transfer portal partially has done that because when Flacco transferred out of Boston College when he loses to Matt Ryan that first year when they're there at BC and they're all competing, it's like him, Flacco, and uh, I forget there's one other big name that's all in that quarterback room, and they all lose out to Matt Ryan. They transfer, and that's the one transfer, and that's all they got. You know, And they have to make the best of that to switch majors. You know, now the transfer portal, well, I think it's a good thing for some kids. For a lot of kids, I think it just gets them into trouble. It takes, it really spreads the talent really thin. You end up with people just dumped everywhere, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I I agree. Like, there's just not, like, I'll say this. If Charlie Brewer sticks it out at Utah, he's got a really good opportunity to get a high look this year. But he didn't because he's – I don't know why, but just not – I mean, JT Daniels, if he could stay healthy, would be the best quarterback on the board. And he's just – JT Daniels, to me, has been kind of disappointing in Georgia. You know, like I know at USC, like he was great and then he gets hurt. And, you know, he's never really recovered from that. And it was an ACL, so, like, I get it that it takes you, like, a year to get over it, but – we're, I want to say, like 18, 19 months down the line, and he's just not right. You know, he can stay, he can't get on the field. Uh, I will say this in, in quarterbacks that I'm looking forward to, right? Because if you're an NFL GM and you have to, you've got to look out three years in advance. Like, if I'm the, if I'm the, the Steelers, it might be best case scenario for me to just ride the Dwayne Haskins train for two years while I build up an offensive line and then go out and get a really good kid in the draft, like spend some, spend some bucks and go do it that way. Um, the Tyler Van Dyke kid out of Miami looks to be one of the better. I know like his first two games were real tough. Um, he got thrown, he got thrown into the fire though. But he came – like, without him, they don't win the NC State or the Pitt game. I agree. Like, he's taking a team without a very good offensive line, and they're scoring 30 points a game. Um, I think he's got – I think a good comp for him is uh, Jim Kelly, obviously on the Miami connection there. But, like, if you remember it, Jim Kelly was one of the best quarterbacks in college – 
he was a very good quarterback in the NFL. Obviously, he's a Hall of Famer. But, like, the reason those Bills teams were very good was because of running backs and defense. He's just like Joe Flacco. He's like Matt Ryan. It's a guy where you just need a little bit more on the roster in order to get where you want to be. Um, but in the sense of NFL starting capabilities, he's definitely got it. There's nothing that you don't like about him. Um, I I want to th- – because, like, Bryce Young doesn't do it for me. There's not a lot that I like about his game. Um, he's just another Greg McElroy to me. Um and there's not a lot of quarterbacks right now that are young and starting that really have wowed me in terms of superior arm talent, uh, you know, decision-making. That's why I do like Mordecai a lot. Um, like, it, he's a guy who's thrown for 2,600 yards already this year, and he's got an 80 QBR. Like, I know those aren't amazing metrics to go by, considering he doesn't play in a major conference, but, like, they, they score – what, an average of 50-something points a game? That's not – or 42 points per game? That's not because they have a bad quarterback. For sure. Well, we're going to have some fun games this weekend. We had some good recap of this week. Thank you, Shay, for hopping on with us. And uh, be sure to check us out later in the week for another podcast where we'll cover the NFL.